Good morning. Morning. Good morning. Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Does It Hold Up podcast, where we talk about old movies and let you know if they still hold up to today's standards. I'm Adam. And I'm Emily. And today we are traveling back to 1998 to discover reality TV in The Truman Show. So, if you guys don't know, The Truman Show is, it stars Jim Carrey, and it's about a man named Truman Burbank, who since being a baby, they have pretty much had his entire life, 24 hours a day, on television. People can watch it. They tune in for the drama, and he doesn't know he's on TV. But then, all of a sudden, weird things start happening. Lights falling from the sky. He starts noticing little things. It's been almost 30 years that he's been unknowingly a part of a television show. And as things start going wrong, he starts figuring out something weird is happening. And we get to go on this journey with him where he realizes his wife is in on it, his friend is in on it, that he's been held back from doing certain things and couldn't be with people that he loved because of what's happening. And it's his journey to break free from this TV show and the life that has been created for him. Do you ever have moments where you see something and you're like, oh my god, I'm in, I'm in a TV show in your life? I mean, the difference being I'm actually in a TV show in my life? <laughs> Guaranteed. Yeah, you, you go to like some supermarket and you see something just truly odd and you're like, this would only happen in TV. No, never. Really? Never. Oh my gosh, I feel like it happens to me way too often. Well, that's uh, that's a problem. You should probably see a doctor. Um, I can't. That should not happen. You should never think you're in a TV show unless you're in a TV show. There's actually like a whole diagnosed thing from after this movie. A lot of psychiatrists started seeing an uptick in patients coming in swearing that they are being Trumaned, that they are part of a TV show and they can't figure it out and all this stuff and just craziness. And, like, they saw a huge uptick. There was, like, articles written about it. There was one, I think it was a gentleman in, like, Australia or something who had an entire New York piece written about him, a New Yorker piece, because it had been, like, 25 years. He was this – he was a, a gentleman with schizophrenia, and it's, like, for 25 years, he swears he is part of a television show. And it was, like, so fascinating. That – that does sound fascinating. Like, yeah. I don't actually think I'm in a TV show. Let me just put that out there. I know I'm not, because I'm not interesting enough to <laughs> I mean, have a TV fair. show about that's me. Fair. Let me watch you get up all day, and then watch a movie, and record a podcast. So thrilling. <laughs> yeah. So but then again, they made a show about a guy uh, who does insurance. Truman. Oh, well, yeah, but the, the interesting part about Truman is that we've watched him since he was a baby. They didn't start filming him after he was an insurance agent. Like, it's his entire life. Every aspect of it is on TV. Including his birth. Including his birth. Um, but it turns out, like, this movie didn't set that off. It's just what it's become. This has actually been, like, a, a mental disorder for people for years now, before even this movie came out. For some reason, people think they're part of a grander thing that they have no control over. They think they're part of it. It's the weirdest thing. If you ever get time, like, I suggest you guys go Google it. 
read some articles about it, read some of the case files about it. It is the strangest thing you will ever read because they will swear they found cameras in places. There's people who are like, that go in when you're reading these case files. Some of it's like, I was walking through the mall and this guy just stopped and stared at me and he was wearing a weird hat that had a camera in it. They found my camera hat. Right? Like, okay, this isn't The Simpsons. This isn't an episode from the 1990s Simpsons where Homer goes to a poo wearing a big cowboy hat with a camera in it. Like, That, that is the best way to uh, oh, hide a camera. Like, if you're going to go, just go all in. Do something huge and stupid. <laughs> I guess it would be great. Like, it just amazes me that people actually think this. And it's, like, so fascinating to me. So fascinating. But now you know, it has a name. Yeah, I mean, it always had a name. They just now call it the Truman because it's a lot easier than the really long, complex name that they gave it because they can. Yeah. Okay. Scientists and, and doctors and things, do me a favor. Stop calling things ridiculous, stupid names that nobody can pronounce. Just like the easy phobia things. of long words is a, an extremely long word. Yeah. Like, but <laughs> I don't even care about that. That's just kind of funny. But like, <laughs> dumb things. Like, Names of pills and stop it. Stop it. Just like this pill is called main pill and it treats this disorder. Yeah. You don't need some long complex name for this stuff. Yeah. I think they just start adding letters like they get they paid do. by the letter. Yeah. They're like, <laughs> they're like, I don't know. We haven't used a ZX combination in a while. Throw that right there. Yep. Like, it, I don't know, it bothers me. Anyway. Um, so that's the plot of the movie. And here's, here's some things I kind of want to break this down and touch upon things you know we're trying a new format this week where we gave you guys the plot already and we're going to kind of talk in sections here instead of going throughout the whole movie so one of the things i want to touch upon is like award season with this movie so this movie was nominated for three oscars it was for ed harris who plays Kristoff. He's the creator of the entire Truman Show. He runs the whole thing. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Did not pick up the win, yeah, but a nomination. He was, he's wonderful. He, he's great in the role. He just doesn't have a big enough role to actually... I, I mean, it's big it. enough. It's big enough. He got nominated. I guess. You know? Um, the next one is Andrew Nichol, who wrote it. Won for Best Screenplay. Developed specifically for the screen. Which basically means it's the best original screenplay. You don't see it anywhere else. So he was nominated. Did not win. Seriously? Yeah. Ugh. And it's been seen before. There's like an old TV show that kind of delved into this idea. There was actually a movie from the 60s that delved into this idea. Uh, here's the problem. Everything's been seen before. Yeah, absolutely. It shouldn't matter. And neither of those things were nominated for awards. Uh, and then the third Oscar, which... This one I really want to just get into the behind the scenes of this movie because it's Peter Weir, who is the director. He was nominated for Best Director. The craziest thing, though, this movie not nominated for Best Picture. How does he get nominated for Best Director when his film's not even nominated for Best Film? Didn't have enough uh, good directors that year, I guess. Like, I don't understand it. I don't get it. That doesn't ever happen. There's only been like two other times or three other times in the history of the Oscars that you are nominated for Best Director without being nominated also for Best Picture. Well, here's the problem. Jim Carrey's in it and they don't like Jim Carrey. 
But it's we're not even getting there. Not, <laughs> I don't care about that. It doesn't matter who's in it. We're talking about the movie. They don't have to nominate Jim Carrey if they don't like him. It doesn't matter. They're talking about the movie. And it wasn't nominated, but then you gave Best Director nomination to Peter Weir. Like, that doesn't make any sense. If he's the Best Director, why is the picture that he was nominated Best Director for also not nominated for its award? How is it like, dude, you crushed it as director, but your movie was terrible. <laughs> like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So how do you get there? How did the Oscars, how did the Academy get from point A to point B on that? You are so good, we're giving you a nomination. Oh my god, yes, so excited. My movie's gonna get... No, no, no. We didn't say anything about your movie. Your movie's trash. Just you. You're so good, but your movie's garbage. It just doesn't make sense. No, it makes no sense. I don't know how you get there. I don't know how you get there. I don't know why they got there. Peter Weir didn't win. Everybody was kind of surprised that he got nominated because the movie wasn't nominated. So it just blows my mind. And then you kind of touched upon it before I wanted to get there, but we'll get there. Jim Carrey also wasn't nominated for this. I'm sorry. (laughs) Best director, best supporting actor, and you just completely gloss over the man who held this entire movie together. And if it was anybody else in that role, it's a lesser role. Oh, yeah. It's a lesser movie. And you just gloss over him. And not only that, but like... Jim Carrey has never been nominated for an Academy Award. And he's so good. He's so good in so many things. And I get it. The Academy doesn't like comedies. And that's what Jim Carrey did early in his career. All comedies. This was his first foray into something a little bit more serious of a tone. Even though this has got a lot of Jim Carrey beats in it. The facials, the manicness. Like, it's got a lot of that in it. But it's a serious movie about a serious subject. And he plays the serious parts just as good as the comedic parts. Almost better. And then he goes on to do like things like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Man on the Moon, uh, The Majestic, and still never pulls a nomination. And it, it starts here. Why is this man not nominated? I honestly would have said he should win for this role. It was such, so well done. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't remember who else was nominated that year. Or who even won? Because who cares? Yeah. The, the, no matter who won that movie, who won that, that Oscar for best actor in a, in a movie, it's not this performance. This is a performance that's still talked about. Like when you talk about Jim Carrey, there's like, you talk about all his comedic roles, and then as soon as that talk dies down, it immediately goes to Truman Show. Of like, oh, dude, he's so good in Liar Liar and Ace Ventura and all that stuff. Man, but you ever seen him in Truman Show? That's like peak Jim Carrey. He's so good there. Mm-hmm. That's how the conversation always ends. And I just don't get it. So I, it's just that if that's a convers- where the conversation goes, this man needs more recognition for it. In fact, I did just I did just look it up. In 1998, the Oscar went to a very good actor, but a, not a great movie. It's for a movie known as called As Good As It Gets. Ever heard of it? No. It's a good movie. It's not great. It's not transcendent. Nobody's going to remember it. I mean, if we did an episode on it, it'd probably be like, meh. It (laughs) it holds up, but only because it doesn't do anything bad. It doesn't do anything wrong. Yeah. It's just a so-so movie. It's Jack Nicholson, one for that role. A role that, like, if you think Jack Nicholson, this is probably one of the furthest things down in your mind. And yet, somehow, he gets the Oscar for it. Yeah. 
Like, I just don't get it. The Oscars make very little sense to me. I never really cared to watch them because it definitely seems very one-sided on, like, certain types of movies, certain types of roles, and certain types of actors. Like, if you don't fit their mold perfectly, it doesn't matter if you give the best performance ever. You're you're not what they wanted, so not even uh, acknowledged. Yeah, not even a nomination. We just don't care. So the other nominees that year were Dustin Hoffman for Wag the Dog. Again, a very good role, but it's not like a defining performance. Peter Fonda in Yuli's Gold. <laughs> Fine. Robert Duvall in The Apostle. Excellent role, but he didn't even win. So it's like, no matter how, you weren't that good if Jack Nicholson, in As Good As It Can Get, beats you. <laughs> and then the other one, which if, if anybody's going to win outside of Jim Carrey in this year, which, since he wasn't even nominated, it's Matt Damon for Goodwill Hunting. Because once again, that movie's fantastic and his role is amazing in it. And I can't wait to cover that in another episode because it's a movie that needs to be talked about. But those were your nominees. How is Jim Carrey not on that list? I mean, I don't even know any of those movies besides Goodwill Hunting. Like, that should kind of say something. Yeah, like, well, I at least knew the movie of Truman Show. Yeah, I mean, the Oscars have never been about the fans. They're, <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. It's all about who can buy votes, and I guess they just couldn't buy enough votes. But it's also even deeper than that, because Jim Carrey, early in his career, bad-mouthed the Academy. He said what I just said, where it was like, they're not made for people anymore. They're a bunch of hoity-toity white men that don't, don't know a good movie if it came up and bit them in the ass, basically. Like, he downplayed everything. He was like, I don't care. I don't care if I ever win an Oscar. It doesn't matter. They don't really mean anything. They're not for people anymore. And that that's, like, the reason he doesn't get nominated. You badmouth the Academy. They hold grudges. Dude will never get nominated no matter what he does. He could literally play Jesus Christ in the biggest movie of all time. They could make a movie about Jesus Christ right now that goes on to grow $7 billion worldwide and is beloved by critics. Rotten Tomatoes has no negative reviews. It's 100%. Everybody loves it. It's amazing. And it could get 13 Oscar nominations. And Jim Carrey would not get nominated for his role. It could get it could win every award and Jim Carrey would still not be nominated. Stop holding grudges, Academy. Stop doing it. Seriously, I've ah, it's This is why I never watched them because I just I've always thought that they were bad. Especially because this year Jim Carrey won the Golden Globe for best actor in a drama role for this movie. For the Truman Show. He won that award. Usually that kind of signals who's the lead contender for the Oscars. Dude, how do you win the Golden Globe, but you don't win the Oscar? You, you don't, don't even get, get nominated. nominated. Yeah. He was nominated for the SAG Award for this role. He won the Golden Globe. Like, he was on his way. And then the nominations came out for the Oscars, and he wasn't even on it. It, it blew people's minds in 1998. Still blows people's minds today. Bothers me. Yeah. If anything, you should have been at least nominated. Absolutely. All right, I just needed to get that Oscar stuff out of the way because every time I see this movie, it reminds me that Jim Carrey's never been nominated for a damn role in his life, and I just needed to vent about it. <laughs> just needed to vent. Um, okay, so we already talked a little bit about Peter Weir, but if you don't know who he is, he actually had a little bit of a filmography before doing this movie and this is how he got this movie in fact andrew nickel who was the writer was originally going to direct but he wanted too much control and too high of a salary and the studio was like absolutely not <laughs> you, you can't direct this so 
they asked around, got a bunch of other offers. I think, you know, some high-name people were, were talking about it. Like Sam Raimi was going to direct it, which is a little weird because he's a horror director. I'm not sure what would have happened there. Yeah. But they kind of, and then they couldn't find anybody or people turned them down because they just didn't want to. So Andrew Nichol actually said, well, if I can't do it, how about this guy? And that's who they went with. And he's also directed things like um, Witness with Harrison Ford. Great Harrison Ford movie. If you've never seen it, check it out. And he also did like Dead Poets Society. Everybody knows that. Yeah. You know. So he had a little bit of a filmography before this. After this, he went on to do the Russell Crowe Master and Commander movie, which was kind of a flop, but a hit at the same time. Super weird. So he's got a nice little career. Um, And I think this probably is his best movie. Out of all of them, I think this movie's phenomenal. I mean, besides Dead Poet Society, I didn't recognize the other ones either. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, as a cinephile, I've seen them all. Um, Dead Poet Society is really good, but you could tell he was still getting his feet under him. I think this is where he really shone. I mean, the way how he created aspects with the camera of following Truman Burbank around... He just had this great style to mm-hmm. him. So I think he was great here. Then we have Jim Carrey. He plays Truman Burbank. Um, fun little play on his name. True man. You know, he's the star of the show. He's a true man, and you're watching him. You know, there's no there's no falsehood in his life. He's a true man. That's how they got the name. Oh. <laughs> I would not have known that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Most people just think it's a name. And then his last name's Burbank. It was just based off of the town Burbank in California. <laughs> that's, that's why he's named Truman Burbank. Um, talk to me about some Jim Carrey, though. What do you think? Jim Carrey was clearly the star of this movie. I mean, everything rested on him. He was in every, no, almost every scene. There's only a few that he wasn't in. And it, for me... As much as I love Jim Carrey for his, like, over-the-top-ness, I loved his subtlety in this movie. He, every time he noticed someone wasn't being truthful, was part of the scheme, like, you just saw it on on his face in the little features. You saw his heart breaking. But, like, not like he had to sob and, like, throw himself to the ground to display it. He really showed off his acting chops in this because my love in movies is watching people subtly act and having those small moments where you're just like oh my god no <laughs> <laughs> like yes. my, heart's, my heart's breaking for you like come on i want to give you a hug yeah um he's he's wonderful in this movie i mean he came from a lot of comedic roles he had you know done the um, in Living Color, sketch comedy show. He'd done his stand-up routine. He's a, he's a comedian. And you got to see that in this movie, but also he got to be an actor in this movie. Like, Ace Ventura and stuff like that, he got to be a comedian. He was over the top. He, he His face, his everything, just extreme, as far as he could go with it. Here, like you said, he had to be more reserved. He had to actually give a performance, and what a performance it was. Like, Seriously. Like I stated earlier, anybody else in this role, it's it's a lesser movie. Because you have to be able to balance the the comedy and absurdness of, you know, this guy not knowing he's on a TV show, but everything's kind of working. You have to sort of be naive, but also smart enough to figure it out when it comes time. Yeah, absolutely. He's just fantastic. God, just 
give me more of this Jim Carrey in everything. And he goes on to do more later, later in his life, do more dramatic stuff, and it's so good. And this is the start of it. I didn't think he had it in him. This was the movie that made me realize that Jim Carrey is, and everybody always gives me shit for this, always picks on me for this. And it's like, Jim Carrey is my favorite actor of all time. And they're like, oh, you don't want to go with somebody who actually has, like, range, who can do all sorts of things, who gets gets awards, who has these big movies, who... No. Jim Carrey is my guy. He can do it all. Just because he's not always given the opportunity doesn't mean he doesn't crush it when he gets it. And this movie is living proof of that. That's fair. All right. Then we have Ed Harris as Kristoff. Um, you might know Ed Harris from, if you don't recognize the face or the name, you'll know him from movies like Apollo 13 and, uh, 1996 The Rock with, uh, Nick Cage and Sean Connery. He plays the bad guy in that one. Great Michael Bay movie. Hmm. Um, so he, he had been doing stuff for years prior to this and he's done stuff for years after this movie, but he's the architect of the Truman Show. How do you feel about him? How do you feel about Ed Harris in that role? He played... The uh, uh, almost like hyper focused person so very well, to where he had knew every aspect of everything that was happening. He always had a plan for pretty much everything, and it was good to see because it's like you don't want to like him, but you also kind of like understand that this is his passion project, and he is so about it. Like, to the point where he almost kills Truman because Truman's going to get away. Mm. And he can't let it go. Yeah. So it's just, he, he performed very well in that to make me believe. So when I first saw this movie when I was way younger, um, I loved him. I thought he was, I was like, oh, you play that part really good. You're such a good actor. I've seen you in other things. You're awesome. But, like, watching it now, so... This is probably the first time I've watched it since beginning working in the film industry. Since going to school for film, getting into the film industry, doing all that. This is probably the first time I've sat down and watched the movie all the way through since then. And it's been years now since Mm -hmm. all that. And it just makes me laugh because I'm sitting there watching it this time. And I'm like, oh my god. I know people just like him. (laughs) I went to school, I went to film school with so many people who were just like Kristoff, who were like, oh my God, this is my life's work and I'm an artist and I need control of everything, blah, blah, blah. And like, I saw that in him. I was like, dude, you are just an art student who thought of a good idea and you did whatever it took to get it there. I was going to say, you can always find those people who are just like that. And it's like, dude, you're passion project is a commercial of like a dog poop bag yeah like like it's just not like anything like citizen kane level exactly (laughs) so like i've seen and known people like Kristoff, and ed harris gets so much credit for me from that because i believe he's a real person like i'm like holy crap you exist in this world and there's a lot of times that i forget it's ed harris like, when I'm thinking about The Truman Show, I'll be like, oh my god, the characters are so good. Jim Carrey was so good. Laura Linney was so good. And I'll kind of go through stuff and I'll be like, oh, the guy who played Kristoff was so... What was his name? I've seen him in other things. Oh my god. And then it hits me. 
And I'm like, he gets lost in that role so much that I forget it's him. And that for that reason, I'm just like, I applaud you, sir. Is he the Stanley Tucci of this uh, he's the movie? Stan- he's the Stanley Tucci. He's the Tucci of the treatment show. Where <laughs> I just, I forget he's in it because I don't think of him as Ed Harris. I think of him as Kristoff in this movie. Yeah. Like, I feel like they just went, hey, hire that Kristoff guy to play Kristoff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I just touched upon her. Laura Linney plays Meryl. Burbank, mm-hmm. Truman's wife. Um, before this, she was in movies like Congo and Absolute Power, two great movies as well. So I'll have to take your word for it. Yeah, I know. I, know. <laughs> um, I think she was great. I think she brought a lot to the table. I think she's pretty replaceable in this, though. I think pretty much insert actress name here, and but you get the same performance. I feel like that's kind of the point of her character, though. And she, she played the, like, almost unnerving pretty well to the fact of, like, you always knew she was in on it, and she was always on the edge. Like, well, I, I mean, trying... I knew everybody was in on it from the start. That's the point. There's no, there's no mystery here. Yeah, but imagine having to go through and be that person 24-7, because a lot of the other people, they could just go home, like, if they're at their house, they could, like, take a break. I mean, as you saw, though... That's not how it works. I mean, people were on whether Truman was there or not. Because you could never risk it. When they had a whole hospital scene where people were running around doing stuff in the hospital, and you even brought it up earlier of like, why have people at the hospital if he never goes there? Because they have to. Because they don't know if Truman will ever deviate from the plan. So it's not like everybody, anybody ever really gets to fully stop playing the character. Because you just don't know. It's, but- it's, it's unpredictable. But then you run into a part that I'm going to come back to later of just insane logistics. Like yeah. trying to, trying we'll, to get we'll, this We'll door. talk about that later. Um, back to Laura Linney, though. I just think she wasn't anything special. Like I said, insert actress name here, and you get the same exact performance and the same exact piece of the movie. That's fair. I don't she, think anything special. But, yeah. And I like her. Laura Linney, she's a great actress. But... I don't know. She just falls real flat here. And I know that could be part of the character. It could be part of the writing. It could be... But she doesn't do it for me. She just exists. That's fair. She's a means to an end. And I just feel like put any woman in that role, you get the same outcome. That's fair. Next up is Noah Emmerich, who played Marlon, the best friend. I instantly liked him. Cool. And it Uh, made it so much worse to know that he was... In on it, and not only in on it, but getting fed lines about some of, like, being so innocent and not lying to him. And it's just like, oh. Because he had to. You know, I Truman know he was, had to. Truman was starting. Still... I mean, he's getting paid at your job. You gotta just do your job. It doesn't matter about your feelings. It can still break your heart. No, it's fine. He was in on it. Because um, you for can those even see it on him that it, it broke his heart to do that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Noah's a good actor. Of course you're going to see it. Little pieces on him. You know, it's 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 a job. He did his job. Sure, that doesn't mean he doesn't feel for Truman, that he doesn't actually care. But, you know, it's his job. He has to do it. Yeah. Um, but you may know Noah Emmerich from Copland. Not you. Not to, This is the general you, because I know you're not going to know these. Yeah. Uh, but you'll know Noah Emmerich from Copland and Beautiful Girls. Those are his two main movies before The Truman Show. 
he's he's good. Uh, again, I don't think he's anything groundbreaking. I don't think it's like, oh man, he he's one of the best pieces of this movie. He's so good. I think he's very good. Do I think it could be done better by a different actor, a more established, well-known actor with more depth? Probably. Because I think his, the way he plays this character is like, it's too readable. It's too readable on his face what he's thinking at a moment, where it's just like, you can tell how much he cares about uh, Truman, but you're not supposed to see that in the beginning of the movie. It's supposed to be a slow reveal that he actually cares for Truman, and, and it hurts him that he's in this world, right? That he actually has feelings for this man, that he, he cares beyond just being an actor. But we get that from, like, the offset. Like, the minute you meet him, and it's like there's no subtlety in his acting. It's just there. But why does it have to be a, a subtle thing? Like, literally from the get-go, we then know just he's tell in him. a TV show. But just tell him that. It, like you said, it's his job. Understand, but if, you, if you're going to show me that much care for him at the beginning, if you're not going to hide it, and I know you, I can see it in your eyes how much you care for him, you're not going to try to break? I mean, we see another character try to break after hanging out with Truman for, like, three days. But imagine at that point, he's been doing this since he was in, like, high school. He's been doing it since he was in high school. Imagine the almost psychotic break he kind of has when he realizes what happens. Truman, that is. Like, yeah, but do you know how much easier it would be if somebody that. was telling you and walking you through it instead of you having to figure it out? And then Every you're like, oh, at least you're on my side. Though. But it doesn't matter. At so least he's on his he's side gonna then. get replaced. We see every single person that tries to tell Truman what's actually happening literally get hauled off. But you have the most, you're his best friend. Outside of his wife, you have like the most time with him. You could have easily found a way to be like, I'm telling him succinctly, quickly, I'm going to get it out there and let him know. But, like, the fact that you show me that you want to do that from moment one, you're on screen. There's no build in your character. You don't have an arc. You don't have anything. You are the same from beginning to end. You are just, there you are. So I think he's good. I think it could be better. Yeah. You know, I don't think he's as replaceable as, like, a Laura Linney as the, as the wife. Where I feel like it's just put in an actress and you're good. I feel like he needs to be replaced by somebody with, like, more talent. Not that he's not talented, but more talent. Like, somebody who's well-known, who you know can go into those depths of subtle acting. I just don't think he pulls it off. I mean, do you have someone in mind for that? Like, You know, if I had to think about it, I could come up with somebody off the top of my head. Not right now, especially because I have to go back to 1998 <laughs> to, like, cast who would be that person who was popular at the time in 1998. But, like... If you could, I mean, you could have got, like, an Ed Norton in that role. You know, I don't think he would take the role. I think Ed <laughs> Norton's a little bit too far up his own ass. He wouldn't take that role because he'd be beneath him. Mm -hmm. But if you got somebody of his talent level, yeah. it's such a different movie then. That character changes and adapts, and you watch the growth of that character's relationship with Truman instead of it being the same from point A to point B. That's all I'm saying. All right. I'll give you that. Then we get a nice little uh, side piece here. He's not in a lot of the movie, but a wonderful ah, chef's kiss. Paul Giamatti, who plays the control room director. Um, he would go on to be in a ton of movies, but you'll best know him from Sideways. Nope. 
All right. I know him from, uh, uh, what is it? Not Big Little Lies. Um, Big Fat Liar. Oh, but yes, he is. He is the lawyer in Big Fat Liar. That that stupid movie. Filmmaker. Um, okay. Oh, whatever he is, I don't know. <laughs> Who cares about that movie? I do. Um, I love that movie. But it's yeah, terrible, and I love it. He's such a wonderful actor who just I get joy out of every time he's on my screen. I don't even care if it's for five minutes or five hours. He is a joy to to watch, and I just love him as the caring but also lacking any drive control room operator guy who doesn't even have a name he's just the guy see i didn't care for him in this role and that's simply because he is such a good actor that i feel like he was wasted on well, yeah, this, but this is 1998 role. he hadn't really like gotten that breakout look at me i'm a star you know you, oh. everybody's got to start somewhere but it's also he was a nothingness to me he didn't add or take anything well, yeah, away but from I'm, this I'm not movie. Talk, I'm not talking about his... He, I don't care about him in the movie. I just wanted to mention him because I love Paul Giamatti. Oh, well... I just wanted to be like, hey guys, he's in movie. that movie. <laughs> I know, but I'm just saying, he's in that movie. He's great. All right. He's great. He's fine in the movie, and he's great. That's all. Okay. Um, so, fun little thing about uh, the Jim Carrey guy. You know, real life guy. So, he was in 1998, he had already done uh, Ace Ventura, The Mask, and Liar Liar. He's a huge star at this point. Mm -hmm. Like, the highest paid actor in Hollywood at the time. So, to sign on to this role, he actually took a cut in budget. He was getting paid $20 million a movie at this time. First actor to ever get paid $20 million for a movie, Jim Carrey. So, he gets paid $20 million for a movie, great. They, they uh, you know, we'll give you twenty million. He's like, nah, I'll take twelve. Let's cut the, let's cut the budget down a little bit. I'll take twelve million. But what I want is I want the ability to ask for rewrites whenever the hell I want them. That's power. And they gave it to him. They were like, do it here. <laughs> Rewrite it. I don't care. For eight million dollars, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Who cares? So you know, he had complete control over rewrites. Well, who's that going to piss off? The writer. No, the director. Oh. Writer doesn't care. He's getting paid no matter what. But no, the director, Peter Weir. There's, there's tons of stories out there, apparently. They didn't get along on set because Carrie had those rewrite ability written into his contract, so it's not even like Weir could work around it. If Carrie wanted it rewritten, it got rewritten. But I guess it, it's so funny. It's a, what, what a weird story, but like they hated each other at the beginning. They couldn't get along on set. They both just showed up, did their job, left. And like halfway through filming, all of a sudden, they just became friends because Carrie was like, I kind of like what Peter Weir's doing as the director. And Weir was like, damn, Jim Carrey's like improbability? Oh, top notch. I don't care what he rewrites because it's going to be good. And they like, just became friends and like really just ended up working so well together at the end. And I just think that's so fascinating. You go to set and you're like, I hate you. You're taking my job. But then you realize how good the other one is at their job. And you're just like, oh, no, that's cool. <laughs> Let's just be friends. All right. See, Hollywood, take a note. Because I feel like a lot of people in Hollywood would just keep being angry at each other and their ego is too big to be able to take that step back and be like, oh no, what they're doing is actually amazing. Yeah. Like they both like found that respect for each other and they were just like, cool, let's, let's make a great movie. Yeah. It's so weird. But I think what really helped Jim Carrey and everybody else get behind Peter Weir directing this is... Everybody in this movie feels real. 
they don't just feel like they're in a movie. They're even in a movie within a movie, and it still feels like they're just real people. Like, I'm watching a documentary. And it's because Peter Weir wrote a 10-page backstory for every character in this movie. 10 pages seems excessive. <laughs> no, not, I mean, they're 30 years old, 50 years old. They're going to have a lot, of li- a lot of life lived. They kind of need their backstory. But not only did he write it for each character, he also wrote an overall 10-page backstory for the show. Mm. The Truman Show. Not, not the movie he's directing. The movie within the movie. The show within the movie. Of how, he in the story, it was like, they've been nominated for multiple Emmys every year. Uh, some people have even won, but they're not allowed to accept them because, obviously, they're in the show. And they can't just leave to go to the award show. That'd be weird. You know, like, Laura Linney's character, Meryl, she can't just, like, up and leave one night to go collect her Emmy. <laughs> but, like, he said, like, that was the backstory for the show. He even, like, titled seasons. The very first season of The Truman Show was apparently, in his backstory, titled Season 1, what was it? Bringing Up Baby. That was the <laughs> title of Season 1 of The Truman Show. Bringing Up Baby. Because we got to watch him be born, and then we got to watch him become a one-year-old. That's how de- in-depth he went with this movie. It's a terrible title. <laughs> I, don't care. I mean, it, it's not real. That's why. It's just he... But the fact that he even gave it a title. That's fair. That is a lot of dedication. It's like... Why Ed Harris was so good, that 10-page backstory of, like, you were an art student, you did this, you've you've won multiple awards for small things that you've directed. One of your pieces was you directed a piece about homeless people, and it won you a bunch of awards. That what, That's what got you prominence and what got you recognized. Like, if you know where your character came from, you know where your character can go. And, like, Peter Weir just was like, here change what you want to change and like let's work together to, to establish his character but like I wrote this backstory so it can help you that's always good because there's a lot of times that you can definitely tell that actors don't know why they're doing certain things and so it doesn't it makes it so unbelievable that these characters are doing these things so it really helps that he got the actors involved and he he knew the character and they knew the character and they could make informed decisions about what they're doing oh yeah absolutely all right so i've got a lot more written down but i know you've got some stuff written down so let's go pop over and see what you got what do you want to talk about one of my favorite aspects of this movie is actually the corny product placement and that's because it, it makes the show so realistic because you always see that in, in TV and movies of like they're holding their can just the right way so you can see their the, the product label. And it's so important, especially in this show, because it's 24-7. They literally have no commercials. So it's you can buy everything in the show. The show is one, just one big commercial, basically. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because the two old women that we see watching the Truman Show are wearing the same robe that Meryl's wearing in the show. Because everything's for sale. Like, down to their costumes, what they're doing, and they even, like, the wife does this a lot, uh, Meryl, where she will just start naming something, like, oh, you should really throw out that lawnmower and get this lawnmower with all these extra bits, and this is what it's good for, and, like, basically doing a 30-second commercial. Which, fun fact, if you pay attention, he's using the new lawnmower a little bit later in the movie when he's mowing his lawn. (laughs) He does, throw, he does throw out the old mower and get the one that she suggests, the new one, and he's using it in a later scene. So, That's the kind of detail in this movie. Yeah. 
So that it, it just tickled my funny bone. Like every single time I saw something that was like <laughs> product placement. Yeah. But, Which, you know, that's but, how they got to make revenue. But in the way of like satiring the idea of product placement, like doing it to almost an extreme, that level of corniness that is just like, ugh, but it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you literally get a whole scene in the movie where it's, it's Jim Carrey's starting to figure stuff out, Truman's starting to figure stuff out, and he's losing his mind a little bit. He goes on this whole psychotic breakdown, and him and Meryl are in the kitchen, and she's like, why don't you come calm down with this, with a nice cup of cocoa? And she does this whole spiel about this cocoa product made with real cocoa beans and blah, blah, blah. And Truman just looks around, and he's like, who the hell are you talking to? Mm-hmm. What is happening? But she has to get the product placement in. Yeah. Part of her job has to do it. Yeah. Because that's the way it makes money. This is a 24-hour feed. It never goes to commercial. This is the way they make revenue. Yeah. So you got to get it in. Oh, yeah. And uh, like, you, like you mentioned before, the level of detail in this movie is just insane. The amount of uh, attention to detail to where they put certain extras... In certain positions, just, it, it is incredible. So what's your favorite, like, small detail that that was in this movie? What's your favorite, like, little, that's so good. <laughs> um, I would say my favorite moment of that is actually, like, the newspapers behind him. Whenever he goes to, like, pick up the newspaper, it's always, like, discrediting something he just realized. Right, like, I want to travel, and then the next day he goes to get a paper, and it just says, we don't need Europe, or yeah. why need Europe, or, yeah. you know, something like that, and it's just, that's so funny. It it gets me so much, like, I'm just like, heh. <laughs> <laughs> this movie has so many aspects of it that have that little, like, snicker moment. Oh, yeah. That you're like, I know what's going on, and it's so, like... You see all these little things that you can point out and be like, uh-huh, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. <laughs> so my favorite moment about, the, about the, the little details, right, is, and this isn't really even that little of a detail, but it, to me, it's like, if you don't put this in, who cares? Is There's that whole scene where Truman's missing, and they don't know where he is. So they just get over the walkie, and they're like, all right, everybody to one. Like, everybody to starting positions, everybody to one. Just in case he shows up. They can just be ready. And I'm just like, you could have, like, other people would just cut that scene. Like, who cares? We're, it's more important that we're finding Truman. But the fact that they take the time to be like, no, 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 we have to show everybody getting to one is so good. Because you, you realize the amount of little detail that goes in. Like, people get back to their one in, like, already half-walking position. It's not like everybody's just standing there waiting for the queue to go. Mm-hmm. Like, they are literally frozen and they're like, Wah! And they go. And I freaking love it. It's the same thing of when um, the earpiece, so Truman's driving in his car, and his radio in the car freaks out. It starts actually catching the walkie's frequency. Yeah. And he's kicking it and hitting it because something's being weird, and he starts noticing that they're saying things he's doing. He turned on Lancaster Square. Like, he's freaking out. And everybody's like, oh, my God, there's a problem. All right, everybody switch frequencies because he's on to us. And they all switch, and you get that high-piercing sound. Yeah, the static. And literally everybody just freezes in their tracks, and yet Truman doesn't notice it. And I just love that. <laughs> it's, again, a small thing that you don't need. 
just the just him fixing the radio you could get away with but the fact that they show the world and everybody freezing as that piercing pitch goes through the sound you're just like god i love it i love it having been an extra on things it you know movies before i can fully appreciate the everyone to one scene because it's exactly like that where you're like okay i'm ready i'm right. ready oh, I'm let's sure, go i'm sure when you were when you were working on like divergent as an extra and you just were doing the michael bay run back and forth run back and forth run uh, back and forth and they were just like two one you're probably just like gosh oh, oh my god every freaking time i don't want to do it again yep but you're an extra and that's your job and you go to one yep and so everyone went to one yeah it's just so funny all right so Something, we're talking about small details and everything like that, and I just gave, like, kind of big examples, but one thing that just cracks me up about this movie, too, is, like, it's timeless. This is a movie that feels timeless, because the modern world is all like, ooh, fast cars and blah, 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 and all this, but they live in such, like, an idyllic little town where people are still wearing, like, fedoras and stuff, so you're not 100% sure what time you're in. They're still dressing like they're in the 60s, but they have modern cars and, like, weird stuff right so it's a little weird um but if you pay attention to the radio and just anytime there's music playing it's always like public domain songs it's old classical music it's public domain because you can tell they don't have to say it the fact that that's the music being played the detail is the studio doesn't want to pay for licensing new music Mm -hmm. so they're like just put anything out there that's free and truman just doesn't know any better because that's all he's ever heard yeah so it's just like, what a great detail. And this movie is just full of things like that. And full it, of them. And it really, and it's also one of those things where because it's a TV show, you already know, like, it's a TV show that we're watching. You can excuse, like, anything in it, like having certain technology or certain cars, certain types of houses, clothing, because it's like, well, this is a manufactured world. It doesn't have to be with whatever time frame we're in. Yeah. They could have made it like an 1800s town for all we knew. Yeah, but like, then how do you... You can't product placement that then. I understand that. It's my point of like why it's timeless. Yeah. Is you can excuse all of it because they're a TV show. Yeah, absolutely. It, the 1800s was extreme. <laughs> it was just... That's the idea. So it's interesting because... Although the look of the TV show is is timeless, it actually takes place about five months before modern times in the movie. Um, so if you watch like the newspaper dates and things like that, and then when we go to the real world of people watching the show, you can see a calendar and you can kind of make out the day that they're kind of on. But then you watch the show and it's months prior. And it's interesting because that's got to be on purpose, right? Like, this movie doesn't seem like they don't do anything on purpose. So, is it supposed to be, um, you know, maybe this is already out there, but is it supposed to be, like, a we can put product on air in time that people can buy it? Because, like, think about it. If I want you to buy this lawnmower for Christmas for your husband or whoever, if I air that episode, if I put that, that lawnmower on screen a week before Christmas, you can't buy it. You can't get it in time for Christmas. So, like, they have to air stuff like before right oh uh, yeah so like he has a prototype basically of that lawnmower so <laughs> that other people can buy it in time so he's doing the lawnmower or he they they must be like 
you know, back. Because he can't be opening Christmas presents to get that lawnmower at the same time we're opening Christmas presents. I mean, that's only if you're doing that product placement as a Christmas gift and, like, that's the only time you can get it. You know, because yeah. lawnmowers, you, but anything. you don't necessarily... Like, it's not just the lawnmower, right? Like, it could be anything. You have to be able to air that episode to promote the product so people can buy it and you can't do it all at the same time. Yeah. Right? I mean, as long as the product's available, why couldn't they? I don't know. Just an interesting thought that I had. Well, yeah. I mean, if you have to explain that gap... Yeah, I didn't like, notice the gap, so... Um, it's it's the police officers, so if you're paying attention, it's like, obviously you're getting dates in Truman's world. He's buying newspapers, there's dates on things, and then there's two police officers or security guards, whatever they are, watching the show, and there's a calendar behind them that's like five months after the newspaper in Truman's world. Does that one ever change, though? Because we come to we go to them a few times. Yeah, but we're, we're, this this whole movie takes place over five days. Ah. So even if it changed, it's like... <laughs> it's only five days later. It's only five <laughs> days later. So, um, and then, you know, I don't know if, you know, if you noticed, they, it takes place like four or five days, something like that. Because at the beginning, they show that it is day 10,909. Mm-hmm. And then every time we cut to the Truman Bar in the real world, they have a little ticker above their TV that says how many days it's been running for. Mm-hmm. And the last shot we get as he's exiting his make-believe world is 10,914. So this is day five. So it's nice. They don't have to tell us how long it's been. That little subtleness of like, if you caught it, you caught it. If mm-hmm. you didn't, you didn't. But it doesn't really matter. But in case you were wondering, five days. That is an incredibly short amount of time for your entire world to just come crumbling down around And he you. handles it like a damn champ. Seriously. Because I would just, I would have let the sea take me, and I'm like, I'm done. Yeah. Just, just let me go. All right, well. Okay, bye. That, that, <laughs> that plan failed. Exactly. I guess I'm living here for the rest of my life. Exactly. Um, other subtle things that work really well for me, I just, I feel like we could just, go, we could go down a rabbit hole of these subtle things, but like, in the beginning of the movie, when Truman's at his house, you'll notice that behind him is a vitamin D bottle. Because he has to take vitamin D supplements because where do you get vitamin D from? The sun. Yeah, what does he never get? The sun. Exactly. Or the actual sun. Yeah, the actual, he gets his fake sun. But like, again, you don't have to put that in the movie. You don't have to do, hey, set designers, prop masters, you didn't have to do it. I thank you that you did, but you didn't have to. We get it. He's not in the sun. Clearly, he has to be on supplements, something. Yeah. But the fact that they just show it is just that extra added piece. It shows that they had a lot of care for this process and were like, okay, well, he's lived in this his entire life, and so he's never gotten this, 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 and this. So we need to supplement that. So it's like they put a lot of time and effort into the details of this movie, and that is what really makes this movie great. Absolutely. And it, but that's what makes this movie not that it holds up, but that it's rewatchable because you can notice all these little things. Oh yeah, I I truly believe I'm gonna watch this again and just see. Just look way at the background. More. Just look at the background and notice all the little things. Although to be fair, I was doing that a lot this movie or this time watching it because I started noticing little things. So I was like, I'm not even watching the like main action right now. I'm just watching the background. Like, what do I see? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, another small little fun piece of information about this movie is that Jim Carrey and Ed Harris never met while filming it. They don't have any scenes I together. Mean, they wouldn't need to. They don't need to. They have one scene in which they talk to each other, but that's just talking to each other. So it was just Carrie responding to somebody reading the lines. They never met. I feel like he wouldn't have met, like, most of the cast. Because he's, like, alone in the bunker with... Or in the moon, I should say. Yeah. With his team. But I'm sure... He never interacts with any of the rest of them. I would be surprised if he had to interact... Well, not had to, but if he chose to interact with all of them before the filming started. Because he's the director. He's got to tell them what they got to do. He's got to, you know. So he's meeting the woman who plays Meryl because he wants to talk to her about the role before she gets out in there. Or he's got notes for her. Or So I'm sure he probably met them all at some point. Oh, I thought you meant the actor, not the actual character. I know. I'm talking about the actors too, but he's playing the director of their show. So he probably wants to meet them because they're, they have some kind of history together. But he doesn't have a history with Truman because he doesn't need to. Truman doesn't know he exists. I mean, that's fair for Truman's side, but he's supposed to like literally know everything about Truman. Yeah, he's watching him grow up. Yeah. Yeah. But he can't meet him. That's what I'm saying. Fair. So, like, him and Jim never meeting on set makes perfect sense. Keep them away. They're supposed to be not knowing each other. <laughs> but, like, Ed Harris meeting everybody else makes perfect sense because his character is their director. He should meet them. He should know them. We have, you know, something. Just interesting. Yeah. If he, he met everybody except Jim Carrey. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know, personally, being on a couple sets, doing a couple things, there are plenty of people that I would like to have not met on set. That is very fair. Jim Carrey's not one of them, though. would love <laughs> to meet Jim Carrey one day. That would be the most, like, tragic thing if you walk, worked on a Jim Carrey movie and never got to meet Jim Carrey. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I would... I would find a way. I okay. So You'd be that psycho fan. I always tell people this. Like, I've worked in the film industry now for seven years. Um, I interned on some stuff prior to that as well, but I've been a working professional for seven years, and I don't get like I don't get it. A you lot of people. Starstruck. A lot of people are like, "Oh my god, do you can you believe blah blah blah?" Like, so I just worked on Paper Girls which is an Amazon show. It just released a couple months ago. I worked on season one. Sorry, guys, there's no season two. Of course. Um, But I just worked on season one. And an actor, he's got a great podcast, too, called... What is it called? It's... uh, How Did This Get Made? How Did This Get Made, where they talk about movies and how bad they are and how did it get made. Uh, His name is Jason Manzoukas. And one of the people that I was working with, one of my employees in my department was like a huge fan like she was like oh my god i can't believe he's on this and like literally just fangirled all the time and i was just like i don't get it that is so unprofessional i don't care (laughs) i'm like you're here to do a job i'm here to do a job i don't care i've met all people from like chance the rapper orlando bloom to you know smaller people like paul Shear, who like everybody knows but he's not like some big name you know like i've met them all and i just i don't care yeah. But Jim Carrey, I tell people all the time, if I ever met Jim Carrey, I would not be able to speak and there would probably be a little pee running down my leg. <laughs> like, I'm not going to lie. I would pee and go blank and not know what to say. And he would probably say hi. And I would probably scream faint. And somebody would have to wake me up later and tell me that he 
is disgusted by me and never wants to meet me because that's probably what would happen. Oh my god, that makes me think of a episode of Community where um, Troy got to meet uh, the Reading Rainbow guy. Uh, Lamar Burton. Yeah. And he he did exactly what you just described. <laughs> like, he's like, I, I just wanted to get like hear from him. I never actually wanted to meet him because he would just do this. Like, oh. <laughs> but that's exactly it. Like, if Jim Carrey sent me a letter, it would be, like, the greatest thing ever. If I met Jim Carrey, I would be terrified. Yeah. Like, I would literally just, I would die right there. I just would. It, and people are like, really? Jim Carrey? I'm like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Just, yes, Jim Carrey. He does that to me. He is amazing. He does that to me. He 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 does things. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, we can definitely move on from that. Um no, let's delve deeper into your love of Jim Carrey. <laughs> God, dude. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like, the first time I ever saw him, when I saw The Mask, that was the first Jim Carrey movie I ever saw was The Mask. And I was like, who is this man? Now, granted, that movie came out in 1994? Yeah, 1994 The Mask came out. I was eight. <laughs> I was like, who? This man is hilarious. Look at the way he moves and the cool things he does. And, like, I'm not an idiot. I know what CGI is. I know how they fake things. But then, like, you watch him in Ace Ventura, same year, and you're like, wow, he really can move <laughs> his face like that. And it's, what, what is this, man? Look, look at the way he's moving things. I will always remember Ace Ventura. They go to the psychiatric ward, and he has to pretend to be a mentally challenged individual so that he can look around while he's trying to solve this crime. And he does this whole, like, football play in reverse. So, first of all, his hair spiked, like, ridiculously. <laughs> and he's wearing a pink tutu with a Hawaiian shirt and shorts. And it's it, the whole image is just perfect. But then he does this whole, like, playing football thing because he's trying to solve a football crime. And he does, like, okay, let's see that in reverse. And he goes, and does the whole scene backwards in slow-mo. And then he says, let's see it in slow motion. And he does the whole thing forwards again in slow motion. <laughs> It is one of the funniest things I've ever watched. So watching The Mask, then checking Ace Ventura and seeing that scene, I was I was immediately in love. Like, I was like, this man, I will watch everything he does for the rest of my life. And that has stayed true. <laughs> I have even gone back and watched old stuff, like, that most people don't even know about, which, like, Once Bitten, which is a comedy vampire movie where he plays a virgin who's getting seduced by an old vampire. It's the weirdest thing. <laughs> but I watched it because this man is great. And some of his movies are terrible. And I don't care. I mean, he is my quintessential Grinch. Oh, gotcha. Look, let's <laughs> okay, I'm going down a Jim Carrey rabbit hole here. Let's get, let's get back to the movie. Um, so, you got anything else before we start getting into the heavier stuff here? Uh... No, I mean, I, I really want to get into the heavy stuff, so that's okay. kind of where so, I was going yeah, to get into. Yeah, <laughs> let's get into the themes and, like, the, the breakdowns of this movie. We just talked a lot about aspects of the movie, but let's break, break, break it down now. Let's talk about things. Like, one of the things that really stands out to me is, like, they run this whole theme of the loss of life, right? So, like, Truman is terrified of travel because his father supposedly died traveling yeah. on a boat. So he can't go in the water. This is how they keep Truman on the island. So, like, his dad's loss of life has consumed his life. Obviously, Truman has lost his life because he never had one. Yeah. But beyond that, it's like every single one of these actors in this movie, 
has lost their life because they need to be this actor 24-7. They can never live a normal life. Even after this movie or after this TV show when they get booted off, when whatever, whatever. It's so hard to go back to a normal life for them. We see that played out several ways because at the beginning of the film, we have uh, Meryl. Uh, I don't know what her uh, in-universe real name is, but Meryl Hannah. literally talks about the fact that uh, she's basically given up her life for this, but it's a, a life worth living. Mm-hmm. Like seemingly almost as if she has to like convince Vince herself, herself. Of that. Yeah. And then we also see the love interest that got booted from the show is almost living in like this little, not shack, but like this dingy apartment. Oh yeah, so Truman is in love, not with his wife, but a girl that he like, not even hooked up with, just hung out with a few times in high school. He's like obsessed with her um, and wants to find her because she told, she tried to tell Truman the truth and got booted from the show for it. But yeah. got literally in the middle of them talking, her quote-unquote father showed up and dragged her away as she's screaming it's all a lie at him. And telling him that it's episodes. Yeah. It's episodes. You know, all this stuff. And then she gets booted from the show. She shows up later in a phone call with Kristoff telling him he's a horrible human being and blah, blah, blah during this live interview thing he's doing. And we see, like, she's in this little apartment. But you can tell her life has been devastated from this show she she got pulled from a person she had feelings for that never got to develop or do anything she cares for him deeply and is watching his life be torn apart she's famous because she's the one who one the one person who almost ruined this show Mm -hmm. that everybody's addicted to so you know she's not a people person people don't like her for that yep so like her entire life is damaged from this show she's lost the ability to have a normal life because of the show Mm mm-hmm and that's such a recurring theme, as you were saying, throughout. And it just it bothers me. Like, in the best way, though. Because, like, at first you're like, oh, only Truman. Truman's the one who lost his life. And then you delve deeper and you're just like, no, no. Hannah, who plays Meryl, uh, she did too. And the best friend, yeah, he did too. Who I believe his name is Lewis. The actor's name is Lewis. Mm-hmm. And he plays Marlon. Sure. And then Hannah plays Meryl. Yeah. Like, they all don't have lives. This entire show, the, even Kristoff, the creator, does not have a life. He sleeps in the moon, in the control center. Yeah. His old life is there. So he created a show, a life, but had to give up his own to do it. Yeah. It's his art. It's just, <laughs> it's insane. It's insane when you can look at a movie and get that far down into it. And it really starts to bring up issues with this movie. And it's not like issues as in like technical issues, like, oh my God, like... Yeah, it's story issues. It's story issues where people should have a problem with this show. But they don't because it brings up my second point, a theme that they touch upon, is the theme of morbid fascination. Mm-hmm. Because... Every single person, including Kristoff, watching this show is morbidly curious curious about what will happen. They have watched this person grow up from a baby to almost 30. This is They're coming up to the 30th anniversary of this show because 10,914 days is like 29.86 years or something like that. We're mm-hmm. like a month and a half away from Truman's birthday. 
to be 30. And everybody's followed it. And these people are like hardcore dedicated. There's an entire bar called the Truman Bar dedicated to watching this show. Yeah. And nobody calls the cops. Nope. Nobody questions it. We don't know. We don't know. Maybe there's like pickets. There's protests. There's We don't know. They yeah. don't show us a lot of that if it happens. But like, why is this such a fascination for people? Because it's morbid. You're, you're in the most intimate parts of this man's life. And you, it's like watching a car wreck. You can't look away. I mean, they literally talk about wanting to get the first conception of a baby on screen. Like, nothing about this man's life is off limits. And, and it, people can't turn away. And it's, it's gross. There's a man in a bathtub that we keep cutting to watching it because he has a TV in. Now, this is 1998. Like, people have TVs all over their houses nowadays, everywhere. Yeah. They have TVs in ceilings and walls. It, it doesn't matter. Every room. But in 1998, you didn't have that. You didn't have TVs mm-hmm. everywhere. You had your one dedicated living room TV and maybe another, like, 13-inch television in the bedroom to watch. That was it. This dude put a TV in his bathtub in his bathroom so that he could watch it while taking a bath. That's how obsessed people are. Yeah. It's morbid. It It's gross. Obscene, even. Yeah. But I could see it happening. It does happen. The it, Kardashians are famous because of this. Yeah. I mean, even they have a few lines, I'm sure, that aren't crossed. They got At famous because least... of a sex tape. They don't have many lines they won't cross. <laughs> I mean, there's 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 rumors and things out there that Chris, the the matriarch of the family, is the one who pushed for Kim to have the sex tape and then release it. That's fair. I'm I'm it's just saying life. it's real life. There's probably things that they won't allow them to show, and this... only because it's against the rules. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's fair. How are they not against the rules here? I, yeah, I don't know. Alternate universe stuff. I, it's just so weird watching these people have this morbid fascination with this man's life. Yeah. They wear clothing like him. They buy his products. They have his face on pillows. This is a man who does not know he is famous. You guys are all, as you put it earlier, peeping toms. You're all pervs. Mm-hmm. Digging into this man's life, watching every intimate moment, and you're celebrating it. Like, it's a football team who won the Super Bowl. Ah, uh, it's, like, makes me shiver. Like, yeah, it, gives, it gives you a little pause of, like... Is society really like this? Nowadays, yeah. And it, it's depressing. It is. It's crazy. Um, another theme that I want to touch upon is ownership. Because it kind of goes along with that, is... Who owns everything... Right? Because the movie makes us think Kristoff owns everything. It's his baby. It's his world. He created it. Mm -hmm. But can you own a human? Does Truman not own his own existence? Well, I actually had this problem, and I, I brought it up to you right after finishing watching this movie, is the idea of he was never given the choice. Like, he was given up to this world. It's because Kristoff bought him his baby. As an embryo, almost. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, because they have footage of him even in his mother's womb. To where it's like, he was never given the choice. Like, I get it. Someone can sign a a child, like, be like, okay, my child's gonna do this. Mm -hmm. Okay. But once he reached 18, you you don't think that he should have had a choice in the matter? Like, 
Well, like you said earlier, where, where, how do you get? How do you let that happen? Is he a slave? Yeah. Because he's doing work that he doesn't want to be doing. Well, we don't even know if he wants to be doing it or not. Maybe if they said, hey, your life's a TV show, he'd be like, cool. I'll continue doing it. Yeah, but he's they never, never told him. He's just choice. Because what, what's interesting, when I, when I first wrote down that note of ownership was just when Sylvia, who's the girl that Truman is obsessed with, mm-hmm. calls in and starts berating Kristoff about what he's doing, he asks her, he says something along the lines of like, you think you own him just because you had a crush on him at one time? You think you get to own him then? Like you have rights to him? Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, but we're talking about a person. They all talk about it like it's not a person. Oh yeah, it's just a product. A, you can't own, I mean, you can own a person. I'm sure there's plenty of people in the world who own people. But like, it's just a crazy notion that we are watching somebody, we have this morbid fascination of watching somebody be owned by another person. Yeah. Like, it. this is the part of the movie that I'm just like, I, oh, it gets me so bad. And it's like, oh, I'm this make, is what would make it so unrealistic. I'm going to make you real angry in a little bit then. Uh, if we're going to go down a little bit of a different rabbit hole here. Um, oh, this is... Touching upon one of my major bad parts of the whole ethical debate yeah. of if this yeah, is okay. like Why if, isn't it? Because he's literally had no choice and you are doing things to subvert what he wants. Mm-hmm. He clearly wanted to travel. You had to do things to actively change his life to say, no, you can't travel because that would change the... the the show, the show would end because yeah. he wanted to leave. Yeah. That's so not but okay. Like, so, you're actively just... messing with this person's life. Yeah. I wish they would have just, like, found a way. So, this is where it's like, Kristoff, you're, you're a bad director, man. There's a problem in front of you. Figure out how to solve it, right? Why not, like, one night just drug Truman? I know, again, we're going ethical problems here yeah but like drug Truman so that he goes and passes out then go in with a crew and kind of create a fake fiji or a fake whatever right and it just can be a small section of your little soundstage Mm -hmm. and then have Truman buy his ticket gets on the plane again drug him have the plane quote-unquote land he gets off he's in fiji like i don't how do you not find a way to solve this yeah and let the beyond, man travel so that he doesn't start kind of digging in deep. Beyond, like, quote-unquote, killing his dad in yeah. the water. Like, you could easily just create a fake thing and kind of manipulate his travel. Mm-hmm. But again, that's so unethical. Now you're just straight up lying to this man even more than you already were. Yeah, it it is an ethical nightmare to everyone working the show, everyone watching the show, it is just not okay. And that gets me, got me the entire movie of like, you are taking over this person's life and making decisions for him and everyone's just okay with it. So let me, let me, let me, let me posit this to you. So we're talking about ethical problems. Yeah. Let's talk about one of the major ones here that stands out, his wife. Think she's an actress. No, honey, I'm sorry. You're a prostitute. <laughs> you have been sold 
for sex. Yeah. You have been literally prostituted out to Truman. Yeah, that, because... You're no longer an actress, honey. They clearly, from the get-go, had her in mind for the wife role. And what? A, yeah, because she's the one who trips and falls on him and gets a meet-cute with him in high school, and then they're going to be high school sweethearts who get married. He is probably... She is probably the only person he has ever slept with. Yeah. Girl, you, you literally are getting paid to have sex with somebody. You are no longer an actress. You are now a prostitute who does some side acting how do you as an actress not look at that and go oh god that's such a moral gray area and that's uncomfortable yeah she just i mean i guess it makes her famous maybe they were paying her a lot of money but she just does it of a lifetime because you have to be on 24 7 and it just that's the problem that i'm that i get into is like you imagine Christoph being like, well, he needs to experiment around in college, and you're just paying women to come in to sleep with this man so he can have hookups, and he could date around, and he could... Like, there's so many different unethical ways that this movie can play out. Mm-hmm. And it just... It, it sucks to think about. <laughs> That's assuming that he they have had sex. Because we don't know. Maybe they haven't. I mean, Why it's be such, I mean, sure. But once again, this is a completely made up well, world. Well, it's true. Where... I mean, he doesn't. He might think that sex should only happen once ever, and they just haven't done it yet. And it's all like just to conceive a baby. Yes, maybe they haven't had sex yet, but because Kristoff can control it, maybe in school they didn't teach sex was a thing. But like, I'm sorry, this is still a a, a little boy. At some point, he was still a 13 year old who discovered women are attractive, and that certain things happened to his body when he thought women were attractive. He's still going to be curious. I mean, cavemen didn't know what sex were was. They still did it. <laughs> like, people have always had sex. It's a kind of a natural part of being a person. The fact that they maybe haven't, I can get, I can get on board with that, but it's more likely that they have. And even if they haven't, the fact that... She's getting paid to have sex with him and conceive a child with him. Yeah, that's... Is... Insanity. What a messed up area we go into. Because you can kind of tell she doesn't have feelings for him in that way. No, she's an actress. That's the whole point. He even calls her on at one time. He's like, why are you even doing this? You don't even like me. Yeah. And she's like, what? I totally like you. And you can feel the lie. Yeah. Yeah. It's super... uh... When I think about things like that with this movie... It gives me, like, a chill down my spine where I'm just like, oh, God, no. Because not only that, but, like, if sex exists in this world, if they have had sex before and it's it's an understood thing here, then he has to talk to Marlon, his best friend, about sex. And Marlon has to talk about girls that he slept with. He has to act all chummy with his wife. Like... Now, it's not just Truman and his wife that you're forcing to do these, these these acts. And we don't ever, you know, they'd never show Marlin unless, like, Truman accidentally walked in on it. But that'd be weird. Yeah. Um. So they don't ever have to show it, but they have to imply it. And they have to be physical. All the time. For Truman. If he's over, they have to like, kiss. If they're out dancing, they have to, Things have to happen. And that is weird. You've created such a world, but it comes with 
you created this little peaceful world, right? Mm-hmm. But you still have all of these complex issues that happen with people that you are trying to control and replicate. This actually leads me into my other major issue with the movie, and we touched upon it earlier, is the just insane amount of logistics that would have to go into this film that is, like, impossible. Like what? Like having people be willing to, number one, give away their lives. Number two, be always be on for Truman. Like, that's not something that you could ask of, like, any actor. No actor is going to be able to be 24-7 acting. It, it's just having certain things happen when they do coordinating certain events of his life like it is an insane amount of logistics that would have to happen to make this show work and i just don't foresee them being able to do that i don't think in reality that could that could actually happen i mean yeah i get that but I'm sure, like, as people want to leave the show, they're allowed to. They just have to move away, or they have to get sick and die, or they, ha- you know, something, right? And mm-hmm. you can you can be removed from the show at any time. In fact, they even say, like, Marlon, when they were younger, went on vacation with his family, so he was off the show for a little bit. That was probably just to give him a break and actually give him a vacation from the show. And then they even talk about later, he says, like, hey, you remember that one year in high school when you were working on the chicken farm or whatever it was? You got pneumonia. No, that was when he was little, I think. Mm. Something, I don't know. But they mention it a few different times of, like, he, he he's away from Truman. So they definitely give people breaks. So it's not like you have to be on 20... You do have to be on 24-7, but for periods of time. And then you get to have a break. And then you get to come back. Or you get to then be removed if you don't want to be on the show anymore. So, like, I do feel like there's a lot of people who would probably sign up and be like, yeah, I'll do it. Pay me. Beyond that, though, like... Having kids grow up with him, like, we never in the movie, and correct me if I'm wrong. We're going to the nitpicking area. A little bit. Okay, nitpick it. This is very nitpicky, but you never see kids in the movie, if I'm correct. I don't believe I I saw a single kid. I don't remember seeing any. I don't remember seeing any. So I could be wrong. There might have been some in the background that I just happened to miss. Yeah, But I don't remember seeing any. And it's like... Thinking of it logically, like, he, you grow up with people. He's been in this same area mm-hmm. his entire life. Yeah. And you would grow up with kids. Like, that is the norm. I mean, I guess he has his own norm because of being of the in show. Of yep. the show. But the fact that now there's no kids because he's not a kid anymore. Like, how do they I mean, explain I imagine, these things? I imagine there's there's kids. Like, there has to be. He has to see him at some point. They, they they probably walked past him and we just were so focused on other things or, you know, just in... Again, we're only looking at a snapshot of his life. We looked at five days of this show and it's the five days he's losing his mind and they're trying to get things more under control. There's probably kids at some point. Yeah. You know, sign on a kid. It's, you see him for a month. You know, I do it all the time in, in, real, in my real life where it's like... For some reason, you see this this people at the store all the time. You like you know go, you go to the grocery store and it's like, hey, I recognize that cashier. They're here like every time, and then all of a sudden they just disappear, and it's like you never see them again. Yeah, I'm sure that happens. You know, they bring actors in. They're there for a month. He sees them once a week, and then they're just gone again. Yeah. So like yes. I get what you're saying. Um, it's for me. It's more like the growing up with kids. Because how do you sign these kids to be his? friends for 10 years yeah 
But we never really delve into, like, any deep relationships. Like, Marlon is his closest friend, who I feel like they met probably late, like, junior high, going into high school. He was already a teenager. And we don't know how old these people actually are. Lewis, who plays Marlon, he could be 10 years older than than Truman, but he's just playing younger. So maybe he was over 18 and signed his life away to play you know, a 14-year-old coming in because he could pull it off. That's fair. You know, so, like, I get it. Logistically, it sounds uh, like a nightmare. Yeah. And the movie doesn't need to touch upon it, but, man, like, there's so many. Do you know how much red tape this man must have gone through to get this show greenlit? I don't even want to think about it because it is a nightmare. Literal nightmare. Mm Mm-hmm. I couldn't do it. I'd quit. I'd be like, nah, I'm good. I don't want to make this show anymore. I don't care if it'll make me a millionaire. I'm out. (laughs) Um, Another interesting aspect of the film for me, everybody's got home tapes. You've got stuff at home when it's like, oh, my parents videotaped me when I was a kid and blah, blah, blah. This man has his entire life. Could you imagine like, okay, so at the end of the movie, he leaves the dome that Mm. he's grew up in and he's going to go into the real world. First of all, that's complete culture shock. I'd be surprised if he lived for five years after that, just from the absolute change to his world. Right. And how he's insta-famous. Yeah, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to destroy that man very quickly. But if it didn't, could you imagine, like, five, six years after getting out of the dome, you're, you're friends with people, and you kind of are settling into your life, and <laughs> your friend just goes, hey, by the way, I have, like, this whole DVD set of your entire life. You want to watch it? <laughs> <laughs> and you just realized how far they went. Like, oh, my God, this is me in the bathroom. Like, oh, what the hell? here's me masturbating at 13 years old. Oh, yeah. here's me taking a poop. Great. Oh, I have nothing to hide. Here's from me people. with his first with my first weird boner in front of a girl. Here's yeah. you know, like here's the it, first time I tried to take a girl's bra off. Just have a whole like, cringe fest. Yeah, just like those weird moments that are personal and they're all on a DVD box set. Yeah. That people can just watch. And then you can watch. Like, do you watch it? Like you, if it was you, do you watch it? Do you no. go back and watch the entire set of your life? No, I would go on YouTube and find the like best moments. <laughs> <laughs> It'd probably be a compilation. Exactly. You know, someone would have made a compilation by now. I'd do it. I'd watch the whole thing. No, I, I do not need the the secondhand embarrassment up from my own self. Oh, I want to know what they got though. I know they got everything, but I want to know like what they got. Did they ever cut away from stuff? Did they take did a they, spin on things? Right? How did they? How did they see this? I want to see how I got manipulated. It's gonna piss me off even more than I'm already pissed off. But I gotta see it. Yeah, I, I don't want to see that. But like, how dam- <laughs> how damaging is that to him? Dude, he's it's ruined. damaging that you're. Dude, he's done. It's okay. So the movie ends on a really happy note. He of escapes, him getting out. Yep. And he's gonna go meet Sylvia. Like it's gonna be great. Yep. Sylvia. Sylvie. Something. I don't remember which one it is. E or A at the end. Sylvie. Sylvia. He's going to go meet her at the end. Everybody's happy. But, like, let's be honest here. If, if, if we catch up with Truman a couple years from now, he's in a casket. He's in a mental asylum. Yeah, he's, or, like, just horribly drunk. He's damaged beyond repair. You cannot fix him. Easily, right? Yeah. Like, she can't fix him. No. They, they probably have, like, a one-year fling... Of like, oh my god, remember that one time in the dome that we spent a day together? Yay! Mm-hmm. I based my entire life around this one moment. Right? But like, he's dead. He's he's done. 
His whole life is ruined. Did he probably got hit by a car thinking that they had stopped for him? Right, because he probably put his hand up and was like, everybody stopped. But then again, a car probably stopped for him. They probably went, holy shit, that's Truman. <laughs> and they stopped for him. Just so crazy. Um, yeah, it just, it would end so badly in real life. So badly. All right, so we got a new segment coming up where we're going to go into awards. We're going to start handing out awards for certain things in movies. Um, but I wanted to see if you have anything else you want to touch upon before we get into the awards. No, I am pretty, pretty, pretty good. good. I'm, okay. I'm ready. Excellent. Okay, so we're going to get into our new section here. And first up, we have the Paul Rudd Award. Yeah. Um, and basically the Paul Rudd Award is what is the moment or scene from the movie that has aged the best, that held up the best. And it's called the Paul Rudd because that man is timeless. He looks the same as he did 30 years ago. Yeah, he does not age. He does not he age. He is a vampire so, who sold the soul. Paul Rudd Award for the moment or scene that aged the best. What do you got? For me, it is the concept of the product placement. Like, the moment. No, no. It has to be a moment. Yeah, okay. Come on. No cheating. This is our first time doing it. You can't cheat. You can't, you can't <laughs> say a concept. It's a moment or a scene. So like, is it the cocoa when she's when she's advertising the cocoa? Is it the the chef's pal when she's advertising that? Like, if you're gonna pick an advertisement, you gotta settle it. I I will go with the chef pal because it's also the moment she's uh, putting out the 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 lawnmower bit, isn't it? No, no. Really? No. She comes home from work and she's like, "Look what I bought! It's a chef's pal. It does this and this and this and this, and it only costs this much." And Truman's doing yard work, but he's not mowing the lawn. He's on his hands and okay, knees. Okay, fine. That's we get still... this wonderful little shot right there of Jim Carrey's butt. That it's I was like gonna hilarious. say. That is still the uh, best age moment because of that, because of the <laughs> booty shot. Because oh. any other movie that would be a girl, but this one is like, okay. yeah, they're like Jim Carrey, put your butt out there. He was like, all right. <laughs> yep. Maybe that's America's ass right there. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> that was in the 90s. Um, okay, so my Paul Rudd Award goes to the picture reveal on the boat at the end. So throughout his life, I guess, and we see him when he's at work one time, he has a he has a, like a girly magazine, like a, a model magazine thing. Yeah. And at work, he's looking through it, and he finds these like piercing eyes, and he coughs, and he rips the eyes out. As he coughs from the page. And then he does it again to another page. And he's on the boat and he's going to escape. And he takes this paper out of his pocket and he unfolds it. And it's all of these different magazine pieces put together to form Sylvie's face. Sylvia's face. Because he never forgot her. Yeah. And like that moment when he takes it out and he unfolds it and we see that. We already knew the audience watching it. We kind of already knew, but we didn't know. We didn't know if this was like a new thing as his world was crumbling that he's remembering this girl who told him it was all a fake thing. Mm-hmm. But no, he's been doing it for years. And the best part is, she's watching in that moment, yeah. and she gets so excited that it's her face—a a made-up picture of her face—and he's just like, "That is such a great moment." Not because it didn't need it, but it put it in there just so you can get that warm, fuzzy feeling down in your tummy. That is the moment that ages the best for me. Not to undercut your moment, but I totally do not see Sylvie's face in that picture. 
I know uh, what they were going it for. Doesn't, but... It doesn't matter what you see. Yes. It matters what Truman sees. That is fair. Um, but that is the moment for me that has aged the best. It gets my Paul Rudd Award. That's fair. Okay. Uh, next up, we have... We don't have a fun name for this one yet. Still working on it because I don't want to, like, embarrass anybody, any actor or a movie or anything. Yeah. Um, right now, I'm kind of just leaning on it's going to be the Star Wars Special Edition Award. And basically, that's um, the award for the scene or moment that didn't hold up. That just... God, that was bad. Yeah. So, and, you know, so you want me to go first? You yes. want to go first? All go right. first. So, for me, this one's really simple. In this movie, it's every time we cut to the guy in the bathtub. That was exactly mine. <laughs> every time. I already have the old woman sitting on the couch. I already have the Truman bar. I already have the Asian family watching. I don't need dude in bathtub. That was literally what I have written down. It does not age well. It is not funny. It's cringy as hell. Hate it. Mm-hmm. Get rid of so it. So unnecessary. It does not change anything other than showing how dedicated people are to watching this. But I think we get enough of that everywhere else. Yeah. So that is my Star Wars Special Edition Award. The guy in the bathtub. Yeah. Same. Get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. I can't believe we had the same moment. Oh, we yeah. did not talk about it beforehand. This is a brand new thing we're doing for this episode. Yep. Is these awards. So we just came up with these awards. And... It did not come to me as fast as it came to you. I will oh, say that immediate. I hemmed and hawed for a while. This was the last one I chose because I, I just couldn't. Oh, that's so funny. Pick it out. <laughs> that's so funny. It came to me immediately. Okay, so next up is the most replayable moment or scene. Uh, and basically, this is just what's that one scene that you can just rewind and play? Rewind and play. It just, you cannot get enough of that scene. Mm-hmm. What do you got? I have the the day he kind of really puts it together where he starts doing things differently mm-hmm. and especially when he like holds out his hands to the car because it's just like he's acting crazy but it feels like so satisfying at the same time <laughs> like i'm like oh my god that's exactly how i'd act <laughs> you see how far you could push it yeah pretty yeah. much you know that's a, a fantastic choice fantastic scene but there's only one scene for me that I will watch a million times and I will rewind. Okay. What it's is it? true mania when he is being an alien in the mirror. <laughs> it is one of the best scenes. And then when you find out the backstory. So, so first of all, the scene's just brilliant. You got Paul Giamatti up in the control tower watching Truman. And Truman is starting to talk to his mirror. And he's like, hello? Hello? And Paul Giamatti's like, gosh, does he know we're here? Yeah, he's talking okay. to us. He's talking to us. Okay, let's get Kristoff on the phone. Let's fix this. And all of a sudden, Jim Carrey picks up soap, and he draws a space helmet with antennae, and he draws a little fat flag, and he starts being like, I'm here on this planet. True mania. And, like, he yeah. does this whole thing. And, like, Paul Giamatti and the other guy in the room, they're, like, giggling, and they're like, oh, my God, what is happening? And it's, <laughs> but, like, it's it's such a great scene. It is It is... A, a epitome of a Jim Carrey scene of just like let this man do his thing. Yeah. And then the behind the scenes makes it even better because that whole scene was ad libbed. So, like, the laughter you get from the people in the control room, all real <laughs> because they didn't know what to expect. Because every take, Jim Carrey pretty much did something different. In one scene, he drew curly hair and a dress, <laughs> and then he was a girl. And, like, that, and it's just so good because we've all done it. 
Yeah. We've all stood in a mirror and pretended to be blah, 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 or do act out something. Oh, yeah. It's so good. That's my, I, I will rewind it and I will just watch it over and over again because of the, the nods to, oh, crap, he found out about us. Because he's already lost his mind at this point. Yeah. He's already started to put stuff together. So, like, you really go, oh, crap, did he figure it out? And then he starts drawing the helmet and you just, you lose it. It's <laughs> such a good scene. That is a very good scene. Such a good scene. Uh, two more things. So next up is the Paddington Award. Um, this is named after Paddington Bear because I love those movies. They're two of the best movies ever. And this is the scene or moment or character who just melted your heart. Yeah. They are just so sweet and so good that they just melt your heart. You want me to go first? Uh, sure. It's Sylvia for me. It's... It's just that character because she was never meant to be anything. Yeah. She was just meant to be another high school girl. Just and an extra. Caught, yep, just an extra. And she caught Carrie's eye and they took her away. But she found her way back in to be a part of it enough that she could tell him what was actually happening to him. And then she gets taken away. And the fact that however many years it's been later, mm-hmm. she is still fighting for him fighting to get this show canceled fighting for oh my god she is dedicated yeah and it's amazing because it shows that his on his obsession and dedication to her is completely warranted because she's doing the same thing on the other end oh yeah it was meant to be yeah she she every time i watch this movie she melts my heart for me I'm, I'm almost taking a cop out and saying it's Truman. Just how innocent he is and how like friendly he is. And yet it's part of the world around him has made him this way. But it's that weird little head smile thing that he does. And I know that's a Carrie staple, but like... Yeah, okay, I love it every time. It's so pure. Yeah, you're talking about when he kind of like leans back and to the side and smiles his big smile. Yes. Yeah, that's the Jim Carrey smile. <laughs> yeah. And... All throughout the movie, your your heart breaks for him because it's like, he is so pure and innocent and lovable that you hate that this is happening to him and that his entire world is basically crumbling around him. It is, it heartbreaking. My heart melts for him. All right, it's a little bit of a cop out, but I'll give it to you. And our final award, which is you guys are gonna know the answer to it the minute I name the award. It's uh the Jim Carrey Award. And this goes to any actor in a movie, in in the movie we're covering, that we feel is underappreciated for that role. They're underrated, underappreciated. They didn't get the recognition for that role because Jim Carrey didn't. We we started this whole podcast talking about how he didn't get anything for this. He wasn't nominated for the Oscar and he just was overlooked. And of course, the award is named after the man who gets the very first version of it is obviously jim carrey it's jim Carrey. (laughs) he as much as audiences love this i still feel like he just doesn't get enough love for this role that he deserves yeah you know especially after movies like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind and some more serious stuff came out with him people want to point to those forgetting how good he is in this movie Mm -hmm. so he wins the jim carrey award Jim Carrey wins the Jim Carrey. <laughs> Go figure. Um, and then, all right, so our last section, which is another new section we have here, is 
unanswered questions. Yeah. And it's just kind of, if you have a question about the movie we just watched that was unanswered in the movie, this is your chance to throw it out there and see what happens. Yeah. I don't have any for this movie, (laughs) but I know you do. I do. My main one is, why do things start going haywire at this moment? Like, multiple things. Ooh, 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 me, me, me. I think I have an answer. Ooh, ooh, me, me. Um, So we get this great scene um, up in the control tower, and Paul Giamatti's character is just sitting eating a slice of pizza, reading a magazine, and we're watching Truman sleep. Yeah. Right, sleep. And the this other little guy, this other younger guy, is the one controlling the panel at the time. And Kristoff walks in. And Paul Giamatti immediately, like, throws his pizza, throw, folds up the stuff, and Kristoff is like, what the hell's happening? And Paul's like, oh, I was uh, letting the new guy learn learn, learn stuff. Like, take control. So he, he could learn. What if he was learning for the last couple of days, and that's why stuff was going wrong? I feel you got like a new guy taking control yeah. and some weird stuff happening. But I feel like they would have kicked him out by now. Like, how much is done? Like, a, a light, light falls. Literally. You can't control that, though. That's just, like, over time, things break. Yeah. I'm it just, happens. I'm just saying. They a lot of things really well. happen. Well, yes. Uh, they, they do a lot of great damage control in this movie. But a lot of things just start to happen all at once. Like the uh, the um, radio going to their frequency, like it almost seemed purposeful. All these things happening, so I was half expecting it to be someone like Sylvie, or someone who was unhappy, kind with, of sabotaging everything. Yeah, just to be like, okay, let's have him figure it out. If we can't actively tell him. Then we have to get be, him to figure it out. That'd be interesting. I think it would be a little too... It would take away from Truman's own realization and own empowerment to leave the show. Yeah. You know? If we had somebody sabotaging it. I think it goes back to the old screenwriting thing of just... You're telling this person's story. But we don't care about the normal day. We care about the abnormal day yeah. in their story. And that's all this is. It's the abnormal day. And I know they and try sure to explain it. And I'm probably stuff that's happened before. There's probably been other times that bad stuff has they happened. They do actually show a few times in which people broke onto set and, like, try to tell him the truth. Yeah. So, like, I get that they tried to play that part off. This just happened to be a really bad week in a time when he could figure it out. Yeah. So... It, it is unanswered. They probably could have done a better job of, of kind of covering things up, of explaining it. Yeah. So I get it, but detective work, maybe we can solve it. Yeah. Um, any other unanswered questions? Let me check. My other unanswered question is how are the walls matte paintings? And I know it's it, that's not the right the right word for them, but like they're paintings, they're, they're matte paintings, they're just paintings. Yeah, how are it's they a paintings? Dome. It's a dome. It's a movable dome. We see it change colors and lighting and all stuff all the time. But then when he goes to to be right next to it, it looks like it's like literally painted onto plaster. Okay. That why do it? Why how, do you have a problem with that? Because oh, you don't think they have things would think, need to change. You don't think they have films and stuff they can drop down and cover stuff? You don't think they can change lighting to reflect things and change things? Come on, this dude has created an entire world. He knows how to do it. It just, it 
seemed really uh, like for how. But you also have to remember that in Safe Haven, in this town, it's an idyllic town. It is probably always clear weather, unless they specifically need a storm. And in the storm, you're not going to see. All the lights are dimmed. You're not going to see out into the distance to know the clouds are still there. It's an idyllic town. I guess. It's just, those were little things that I got questioned. Because it's like, any time today, that would have been like a a screen. Yeah. That could could rotate. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay. Any other unanswered questions? Nope. No. Okay. All right. Uh, Well, let's give, you got, you know, give me 30 seconds in your final thoughts and your decision on if it holds up or not. My final thoughts on this movie is that it holds up. While I have major issues with the ethical implications brought up by this film, I think that it is timeless enough with stuff like the product placement gag still being highly relevant today with everything that they do, especially having it be a TV show, which you can write off the whole fact that everything's like not quite where it would be today, but because they're building it, I think it would be made today and people would still love it. All right. Um, Okay, so here's my quick wrap-up. I think the movie is phenomenal. As you can clearly hear throughout the whole episode, I love this movie. I think there are a lot of major issues with this movie and stuff that probably wasn't thought through when writing the movie or maybe it was and it made and it they were sh- shot or discussed or something and ended up on the cutting room floor. There are major issues with this movie, but I think by far by far all the good outweighs the like four major bad things. Yeah. And so it's simple. It holds up. Jim Carrey holds up, therefore this movie holds up. And that's it. Everything is good about this movie. It holds up. Yeah. There's there's issues with it. And if you don't ever remake it. No. Don't ever reboot it. Don't ever do any other reads to it. it. Don't touch it. This movie is, is timeless. That's what I love about Safe Haven. You don't know what time period it takes place in because mm-hmm. there's no cell phones, there's no anything. Leave it alone. Yep. Leave it alone. This movie still holds up. In fact, this movie is used in colleges to te- teach ethical boundaries. This movie is used to teach filmmaking. This movie is used for a ton of different reasons, which makes it... Be- it, 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 is fi- it is fine. It holds up. Although, if we could get a cut without the guy in the bathtub, I'd be yeah. highly appreciated. Twitter, get on that. Somebody, <laughs> somebody make that and send it. It'd be great. Um, <laughs> speaking of Twitter, you can check, check us out on the socials. Uh, we have a TikTok at does it hold up underscore between each word. We also have a Twitter at does it hold up one three. We also you can check this out if you're listening to it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anything. You can also check out our check out our YouTube channel. Does it hold up? We put up some fun shorts every day, fun facts about movies. The podcast also ends up on there, and you know hit us up on Twitter. Uh, give us some feedback on if you think this movie holds up. Give us some suggestions for some movies that you want to see us discuss. We're always down to take, you know, oh yeah, some good good recommendations. And in the meantime, if we don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Also, keep watching movies. Bye.